Okay. Uh, so tonight is actually uh, this is the week of uh, Bishalach, which is Pasha's Shira, and the Jewish people sang. Right, they sang uh, Shira because of the tremendous redemption that they witnessed, which was extraordinary. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, what's amazing about uh, Bishalach or the whole saga of Egypt, you know, is that uh, the Barsham, even when he performs miracles, it's always a miracle, what's called of, of coincidence, where things happen to be together at the same time, even though they're independent events. And that's a miracle. It's called the miracle of coincidence. So the Barsham can hide himself as I will point out, you know, when, poor, uh, in the, when I talk about Purim. But Egypt was unusual. Like the Rabbanisham always conceals himself because he doesn't want to disturb free will. I mean, it's, uh, if it's obvious that he's behind everything, that all things are orchestrated by God, well, then that, that uh, as they say, uh, you know, uh, removes free will because then, uh, you know, you don't have free will anymore because you know the truth. So it's amazing to know that sometimes, certainly in the past by Egypt, God completely threw off the veil, as they say. And he came out and did his thing, as they say. And he just wiped out Egypt with miracles that we've never seen before. In fact, there's even an English expression. This is, this is biblical, you know, and so on, you know, so... When the Jews sang Shira, it's not only the Shira that they were redeemed. Of course, that was uh, the song of joy, mostly the song of thanksgiving to God. But that they were able to witness the Rabbani Shalom doing this. That's extraordinary, you see. Because like I said, the Rabbani Shalom is always concealing himself behind the veil, even when there's a miracle. But with Egypt... You, you know, just imagine the Nile turning to blood. I mean, that blood can be taken by the blue by the blue cross, you know, and so on, the Red Cross, and so on. You know, it's real blood. Imagine the Nile River, which I was once on. I mean, I don't know, it's at least a mile long, and it's three thousand miles or whatever long. Imagine up until the, the entire Nile River in Egypt is blood unbelievable uh, so they sang Shira song of joy that they were able to see God doing the miracles that was the unbelievable idea of Bishalach like I say not just the miracle but that God actually revealed himself in such an extraordinary manner something which the Rebbe does not do you see <clears throat> And that, by the way, is what's going to happen in the Messianic era. When the Bansham says, you know, I'm going to redeem the Jewish people, doesn't mean by miracles which are coincidence, you know, which means miracles that are clothed, you know, cloaked in nature. No, no, that's not the, what's going to be. It's going to be a miracle that is open and revealed, where nobody could say, well, how do we know it was God? No. It'll be like Egypt, because it says, Behold, you know, I will redeem you, right? Hine, Gualtius, from Achris, in the end of time, courageous, just like the first redemption, which is Egypt. I will redeem you in the last. We say that, Pasuk, right? By uh, in Musaf on Shabbos, we say it. In any case, so we are now in Bishalach, you know? And there's something I wanted to talk about which I, I have mentioned, I think, briefly in, in the past, but it explains why the world is so wacky. It's insane. When we take a look at this world, the world is really insane. It's incredible. Uh, you know, what's going on, which I will explain, you know, in what way, but everybody knows mankind has never descended such a, to such a low level. Now, before I go on, I just want to say that this year should be a merit, should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families 
of Regina Bas Yosef Ruven and Yeshaya ben Yisrael ben Yaman Wolf ben Tzvihesh and Baruch ben ben Yaman Wolf. Ashbir Aliyah's neshama for all these people and they should all have tremendous merit. In any case, as I was saying, you know, why is the world so crazy? I mean, there are there used to be norms of society. There are no, no, there are no longer norms. You know, I mean, I'm a, which I will elaborate on. What is behind this? So I want to talk about something much more at length. What is the behavior or actions of God at the end of time? Very important to understand what it is. And because this really explains what is happening. You see, so one of them is the secret of the Akedah, which I want to go into because it's worthwhile understanding. Because in many ways, we are required to understand this and therefore live up to the ideal of this, of the Akedah. The question we have to ask ourselves is, we know what the Akedah is, right? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did the Vanshim do this? Uh, you know, what was the real test of the Akedah? Well, basically, the Vanshim appears to Avram Avinu, right? And he tells him, you have to go and sacrifice and kill Yitzchak. So he tells him, which is incredible. So Avram Avinu does it, gets up in the morning, he goes, right, to the mountain, Hamuria which is obviously where the base of Middash used to be, and he builds an altar, whatever, puts Yitzhak on top, and he's about to slaughter Yitzhak. And, of course, an angel from God stops him, and so on. And that test is considered one of the greatest tests ever known to mankind. You see, that, that's the kind of test it was. But what was the real test? Well, we can distinguish many, many different difficulties that Avram Avinu had with that particular uh, uh, command of God. You see, there were really many tests. And Avram Avinu succeeded in uh, overcoming all of the difficulties not to do it. Let's take a look at some of them, you know. First of all, Avram Avinu's main characteristic trait is called chesed. Unbelievable love and kindness to people, you know. I mean, we, we read in Pasha's Vayera, right? Where he, after he had the bris milo, circumcision, he's in his house at the entrance to the door, right? And he's in tremendous pain and he's looking for guests. Why? Because he had this tremendous tendency and proclivity, desire to do chesed for people. And of course, within the chesed, he would, of course, magnify the Rabbi Shalom and try to see and get a moon in God. But he was a tremendous ish chesed. We see that many times. Uh, you see, <clears throat> in any case, so could you imagine somebody whose essential characteristic is chesed, acts of loving kindness, right? How in the world can he go and kill a person? That is the, uh, the exact opposite, right? It's completely the opposite of chesed. For Avram to kill a person is the exact opposite of chesed. That it's probably the most cruel thing you could do. So Avram Avinu had to fight his own characteristic trait of chesed. That itself is a tremendous, what's called Nisoyan, test. So that's the first test of Avram. To overcome his nature and to do something which is incredibly cruel, which is the opposite. The second difficulty with Avram is that not only is Avram chesed, but God is an infinite Baal Chesed. It says, Chesed, Oilem Chesed Yibone. The world was created because of God's tremendous loving kindness and Chesed. That's why He created the world and gave each person 
a chance to have eternal life with eternal with infinite bliss. That's the incredible chesed of God. So how in the world can God command Avram to kill Yitzchak? Again, it's counter the Rabbanisham's infinite chesed himself. So how could God even issue such a commandment? You see? So that becomes an unbelievable, perplexing command to Avram Avinu. Third idea. Why, what do you mean Yitzchak has to be killed? For what reason? There's no justice here. He didn't do anything that would do what? That would deserve his, his death? So essentially what God is saying, I want you to kill Yitzchak, and it has nothing to do with any kind of retribution. That's the height of injustice, you see. So Avraham Avinu has to contend with that. I mean, God is the ultimate judge. In fact, he says when God wanted to destroy Saddam, Hashayfi Kolaretz, he who judges the entire world, right? The Yasem Mishpat shouldn't do justice? Of course not. God is the ultimate judge, and his justice is exact. We see that in Ha'azinu, where it says, right? Ein Avlo, right? Sadik v'yoshahu. God is just and fair, right? Ain't Avlo. There's no Avlo. There's no injustice with God. So how could God demand, you know, logically, the death of Yitzchak when he did not deserve it through justice? You see? So that's a third incredible difficulty that Avraham Avinu is aware of right after the commandment. Next idea is... <clears throat> You know, we don't realize the value of human life. But life is incredibly precious, you see. So when the Rabbanishim tells them to kill Yitzchak, basically he's telling them to kill a person. But wait a minute, the value of human life is incredible. So why would the Rabbanishim command Avram to kill a human being? The value of a human is beyond comprehension. Unfortunately and tragically, many nations of the world couldn't care less. Life, as they say, is cheap. They don't care if somebody dies, you see. That's what the nature of the world is. It's very cruel, right? No feelings. Completely apathetic about human life. We see that because we see so much suffering. So how could the Bersham, who knows what human life is, the value order the death of Yitzchok. So that's a fourth idea, right? You see. Fifth idea, Avraham Avinu is being commanded to kill his son. This isn't an ordinary stranger. This is his son. Can you imagine a father that is ordered to slaughter his son? I mean, this... Remember, children are the identity they maintain and they continue. The name and the identity of their parents and their whole family. And God is ordering him to kill his son? I mean, anybody would, you know, you could have a breakdown, mental health breakdown, by such an order, you see. Uh, so that's another Nisoyen of Avram Avino. You see, that's number five. Right. Not only that, the next incredible difficulty is Yitzchok is the last Jew, right? Yitzchok was not married at that time. He had no kids, obviously. <laughs> so if you kill Yitzchok, you've now killed the last Jew. How could you do that? There's no Jews after this. And Sarah, I mean, she's, who knows how, how old she is, right? Because Yitzchok at this time is about 36 or 37, Right? And Sarah had him basically at 90. So she's about 127 years old. Right? You think she's going to have more kids? Of course not. So how could the Mosham order the death of the last Jew who's going to continue the whole Jewish nation? And then we have one more. Well, actually we have a couple more. Well, whatever. One more. What is that? 
And you should know one thing. What I'm about to tell you is the most difficult thing that Avram Avinu had to face. The most. What, what was it? Uh, because the Bershom promised Avram Avinu, it was a prophecy, for in Yitzchok, right, your seed will be called, which means that the Jewish people will descend through Yitzchok, right? Not Yishmoel. That means the Bershom is saying that the Jewish people will descend from Yitzchak. He will be the ancestor of the Jewish people. But wait a minute. How could that be? Yitzchak is not married. He has no kids. If you kill Yitzchak, then what about that prophecy? So what God is doing is contradicting his own prophecy, which is not possible. It doesn't make sense. It's theologically impossible. If Yitzchak is alive, fine. If Yitzchak is the one who's supposed to father the Jewish nation, that's one thing. But if Yitzchak is dead, we know dead people don't reproduce. So how can you have one prophecy stating one thing, and the exact prophecy, the opposite, is the what? Cannot be. So they are called mutually exclusive. That's what it's called in logic, right? So how can God contradict himself in terms of the future. Now, you should know one thing. That was the most difficult Nisoyen. Why? Because that Nisoyen is a theological impossibility. You see? I mean, if God wants, he can tell you to do something. And you don't know why. So the motive for God is, mis- is, is mystery. It's a mystery. Okay. But there could be a reason. You see? But as far as Avraham Avinu is concerned, right... This is a theological, mutually exclusive dilemma. It's impossible because Yitzchak cannot be slaughtered and carry on the Jewish people. It's impossible. That was the most difficult thing for Avram. What does that mean? <clears throat> because the nature, and this is the true essence of the Akedah, God appears to Avram Avinu irrational. Irrational means completely illogical, not unknown, his motives are unknown, but absolutely irrational. It's impossible, you see. That's how he appeared to Avram Avinu. And therefore, what that does, it had to do to Avram Avinu, is that this doesn't make any sense. How can God, who is rational, say this? So therefore, he could abandon God. He could just, it, this whole thing is crazy. It doesn't make sense. How could God appear to me completely in, and, and, and uh, you know, illogical and irrational? That's the kind of test the Akedah was, you see. Now, we know, really, that the command, the expression of the command, when God told them to slaughter, to kill Yitzchak, sacrifice Yitzchak, he didn't say, sacrifice, kill him. He said, bring him up for an oiler, which is a burnt offering, right? So the command really was, well, just put him on the altar and that's it. Don't finish the job. Now, Avram Avinu correctly interpreted, well, if I put him up on the altar, obviously I have to sacrifice him. And that was true. But God never said that. So therefore, God did not contradict himself. That's the real answer. But Avram Avinu did not interpret it that way, and that's what God wanted him, to not interpret it that way, but to interpret, to kill, sacrifice Yitzchak. <clears throat> so that is what God appeared to Avram Avinu as completely irrational, which is astounding. Now, we therefore have to ask, why? Why would God appear to Avram Avinu in this form of test? You see, <clears throat> also, there are other questions. Why is this the last test of Ramavino? Ramavino was tested ten times, and he passed each test beautifully. This was the last, the Akedah. Is there some type of hidden meaning to the fact that the Akedah is the last test to Ramavino? You see, in any case, we now understand... Uh, 
what the Akedah essentially was, it was a test to Avram Avinu where God appears to him irrational, illogical, and it was meant to shake the faith of Avram Avinu in God. You see. <clears throat> so we have to ask ourselves why. Now, therefore, we have to look at Rashi. Rashi, when, when the uh, angel says to Avram, Avram is about to kill Yitzchak, and the angel stops him from killing Yitzchak and says the following expression, for now I know that you fear God. So Rashi is bothered by that sentence. What do you mean now I know? Before, that, before the Akedah, God didn't know that Avram Avinu was God-fearing? No, that's not what it means. Rashi says what it means. It's an amazing concept where God says, because of the test that you passed, which is the Akedah, right? And even though you, I appear to completely irrational, defy incredibly destroying the possibility of you having trust and faith in me, right? The fact that you did this, now Rashi says, now I can answer, yesh lila hoshev, I can respond or answer the claim of the Sultan and the nations of the world. What does that mean? That means, here's what happens. The Sultan and the nations of the world, certainly the Sultan, is makatreg. He prosecutes. And here's what he says. Wait a minute. The Jews are sinning, you see. <clears throat> Why do you stay with them? Why? Why don't you abandon them and pick somebody else? That's the claim or the prosecution, the accusation of the Sultan. Why do you love them so much? Will you always stay with them even though they are sinning all the time? This always goes on with the Sultan, you see. And the problem is, what is the claim based on? Justice. Because the Sultan says, look, you are the master of justice. You are the one who created justice. So therefore, you certainly must abide by justice. So how could you do that? If the Jews are sinning all the time, where's the justice? Why should you not abandon them? They have abandoned you. They sin. They have violated your will. So why do you still attach yourself to them based on justice? What's the Bansham going to do? He can't kill the Sultan because he created him in order to defend and protect the concept of justice. So the Bansham must answer the Sultan, right, with a claim, no, it is just that I don't abandon them. You know, he's got to answer the prosecution, the defense. So the Bansham says an incredible thing. Until now, I really didn't have an answer for him. You know, why is it that I don't, I don't abandon the Jews? Or whenever the Jews will be, right? But now I have what to respond. I can answer the Sutton the following idea. And it's absolutely incredible. Uh, God says the following. Look, I appeared irrational to Avram Avino, right? Which is illogical. It didn't make sense. What did Avram Avinu do? He didn't abandon me because he loves me. What did he do? He actually went to, dis to kill his son. He did not abandon me. So God says to the Sultan, how then can I abandon him if he refuses to abandon me? Justice demands that I behave to him the way he behaves to me. And if he's not going to abandon me, even though... I appear irrational to him, then meter connected meter, measure for measure, how can I abandon him? You see, so God actually now has a claim to the Sultan that will defend God's actions of loving and accepting the Jews no matter what they sin, right? He has a way to answer it in the concept, using the concept of justice. Uh, that's what the Akedah was meant to be a very important idea you see that's why God did this 
God appears irrationally to tell him to kill his kid, which is a direct contradiction to what he said to Avram before. So Avram Avinu normally had every right to abandon God. Because we're not talking here about God that I don't know his motive. This whole thing doesn't make sense. It's irrational. Yet Avram Avinu did not abandon God, giving the Rabbani Shlodim a magnificent response to the Sutton. What is this called that Avram Avinu did not abandon God? It's called royalty. That's the key. What God wanted is that Avram Avinu, right, should be loyal to God no matter what God does, no matter how God appears, you see. So therefore God can say, look, no matter what I do to them, even if it's irrational, they don't abandon me. They're always loyal. So how could I abandon the Jewish people? We don't realize how powerful that is. That in the end, that saves the Jewish people. I mean, let's take a look at today, right? Today, it's incredible what goes on. You see, when you look at the world, the world is insane. Just take a look at each country. You have America, right? Transgender. You have to watch your pronouns. It's LGBTQ, right? And they even prefer that now, right? You talk about the incredible rise in crime, the, the defund the police. These things are crazy, right? You're talking allowing people to come in the southern border, what's happening in America, right? Then you look at the rest of the world. You have Putin destroying Ukraine. You have China, Jinping, right? Xi Jinping, right? Crazy guy, wants to take over, or he wants to be a dictator to 1.4 billion people. You're talking about Iran, right, that wants to kill everybody and destroy the Middle East, right, and so on. You're you are looking at incredible involvement in materialism. In many ways, the world is not just insane in that way, but they are pervaded with a whole concept of materialism and power, you see, and fame. The whole world, so you, it, it's so bad that the rules of civilization have been violated. You know, how can a civilization survive if it has, you know, homosexuality that's not only permitted, but preferred? It's a destruction of what? First is abortions. You can kill kids up to the time of delivery. And there's somebody, one of the states wanted that you can kill the kid even after birth within the first 24 hours, I think. Where if the mother talks with the doctor and they decide the kid shouldn't live, you can kill it. That's murder. This is civilization, right? And then they're destroying educationally the kids in kindergarten. They're teaching them that, that gender is not absolute. You can change it whenever you want. You see, not only that, you can declare yourself to be a boy if you're a girl or a girl if you're a boy. The transgender, they're teaching this to kindergarten kids. All right? Then colleges are filled with leftists, progressives, and communists. Right? And this is the educational system. You see? Can you imagine what's going on in America? It's incredible. So America is violating the very way that they can be civilized. You see? <clears throat> That's what they're doing. And therefore, we say to ourselves, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. There's a concept of less din, less dayon, you see. Uh, what happens is we take a look and say, why is God allowing all this insanity to occur, right? When nations are devoid of the rules of civilization itself, where is God? Less din means there's no judgment, but less dayon and there's no judge. That's irrational. God is the one who judges the world. He's the one who governs, directs the world. Where is he? That's irrational, because that's the major characteristic of God, it's to direct the world, you see. So, essentially, God has appeared irrational. <clears throat> Why? For the same reason of Avram Avino, because God, because the Satan is screaming his head off, if that's what he has, all right? Why do you love the Jews? 
Do you know there was a study in London where they estimated that there's 15.1 million Jews in the world? How many religious or Torah-observant Jews are there, basically? 2.1 million. The rest, 13.1 million, are gone. Assimilation, intermarriage, unaffiliation, etc. They're gone. So the sudden is screaming and saying, what, what do you need them for? They all violate. The overwhelming majority of Jews violate your commandments. So why are you sticking with them? Ah, so the Bonsham says, because in the end, they're all loyal. People are still trying to, whoever's there, they're trying to learn the Torah, to really to understand the Torah, right? To do the mitzvahs. And the truth is, I've lowered the bar in loyalty. If a guy identifies with Israel, right, even if he doesn't do the commandments, he will get Olam Haba, right? Because he's loyal to me, right? There are Jews in Israel, right, that they'll eat one matzah for Pesach, and then the rest of it is chametz. But that, ex- that, that uh, exemplifies loyalty. God has lowered the bar for loyalty. If a guy says, well, I love Israel, I believe in Jewish history, I believe in the, you know, the, the, the Jewish mission and all that. Even if he doesn't do mitzvahs, that's loyalty. That's what God needs. And God, therefore, subjected to Avram Avinu the exact same thing. Because you have to understand, in the end, even if the Jews don't do the mitzvahs, basically, but if they do demonstrate some type of loyalty to God, that will save the Jews. And therefore, God had Avram Avinu go through that test of loyalty, right? So he could say to the Sutton, you see, they are loyal even when I appear to them irrational. Very, very important idea. You see, in any case, we now understand the real understanding of the concept of the Akeda itself and what it did, you see. So this really is exactly what the climate of this world really is. It's irrational. But God seems to have disappeared. He no longer directs the world. People who are evil, right? They have command of the entire world. They could do whatever, I, whatever they want, you see. Uh, and therefore, the, the entire the way God presents himself does not make any sense at all. Now, since I'm talking about the Akeda, the Akeda also reveals another tremendous secret. The concept of Mashiach and Yosef, you see. Because what, what did Avraham Avinu, he takes a look, so God, the angel stops him from slaughtering uh, Yitzchak, and he takes a look and he sees a ram that is entangled in the bushes. He says that in the Torah. He saw an isle, and it was entangled. Nisbach was kind of with its horns, right? And all of a sudden, right, he takes the ram, and he uses it instead of Yitzchak, because it says, and he offered the ram, Tachas Benoi, instead of his son. So this whole uh, aspect of the story is very strange. Rashi says, the Medrash says, that that ram was 2,000 years old. Right? That ram has been there since the beginning of creation. Oh, you see. And it was waiting for the Akedah in order to substitute for Yitzchak. That's the first thing. Second thing is, what do I care if the ram was entangled by its horns? Right? So what? As long as it was entangled. Right? What does the Torah want to tell us? Then you have the third idea. Right? And that is Tachas Benoi. What does that mean instead of his son? That means Yitzchak should have been slaughtered. He should have been slaughtered, you see. So he needed a substitute. So fortunately, Avraham Avinu saw a ram, and that was the substitute for Yitzchak. But we see from the Torah that it says, Tachas Benoi instead of his son, that really Yitzchak should have been slaughtered, except the ram substituted. What does that mean? Okay, I once mentioned this, but there's an incredible medrash where God approaches, you see, the Mashiach ben Yosef, and he says, in the end of time, 
your children must be destroyed. It means the Jewish people have to be destroyed. Not all of them, but many of them. Why? Uh, because they have gr- sinned so grievously that there's not enough time to give them a kapora. You see, that's what God says to who? Uh, to the Mashiach ben Yosef. That's what he says. So the Mashiach ben Yosef hears this, you see, and he says to the uh, Vansham, wait a minute. What I will do is the following. That he says that he is going to accept the suffering that they should have had for every Jew that lives in his generation, which means when he comes, but in, for every Jew that lived for every generation since the beginning of time, since Avram Avinu, he is going to accept the suffering, right, for the Jewish people. So God said, okay. He sacrificed himself to suffer for the Jewish people, to be a korban, as they say. So God takes the Medrash, this is a Yalkut, right? In Shayo, in 499, this is what it says. God took a iron barzel, an iron yoke, you know, that you put on top of buffalo, and he puts it on the top of the neck of the Mashiach ben Yosef. And it's incredibly heavy. And that represents, of course, the suffering that Mashiach ben Yosef is going to accept in lieu of the Jewish people, in order that they should have right an, an atonement, a kapara. So all of a sudden he bows his head, the Mashiach ben Yosef, right, because it's so heavy. So he starts screaming and says, I can't do this. This is impossible. I'm only human. I'm only a boss of a dumb. So God says, yes, but you promised. Because God needs him to do that, you see. So therefore he says, therefore I will help you. I will go into exile. I will also, in that sense, bear their suffering. Because I myself will conceal my greatness and go into exile with you. So the Mashiach ben Yosef says, okay, then it's sufficient for the servant to be like his master. If you also will accept some type of limitation and restriction on you, right, which means God conceals himself, then I will be able to bear the suffering and so on. What do we see? That the Mashiach ben Yosef offered himself as a substitute when the Jews, Jews, many of them, cannot get the future world. You see? Uh, So that's what the Mashiach ben Yosef did. And for that, he's incredibly rewarded because that's the greatest sacrifice ever made for the Jewish people. In any case, this is what he does. You see, so, now we understand who the ram is. That ram is the Mashiach ben Yosef that's waiting to sacrifice himself for 2,000 years. So that ram is the ayol, that is the symbol of the Mashiach ben Yosef. You see, and not only that, he's entangled in his horns. Why is that so important? Because the Mashiach ben Yosef will bring the redemption with unbelievable chokhmah, wisdom. His wisdom is beyond compare. That's how he's going to, you know, bring the redemption. He's going to stun mankind with unbelievable wisdom. So therefore, it's entangled. It means he's got all this to offer and he can't because he's suffering in a certain figurative sense. He's in prison. He's a, a person that has this incredible spiritual potential, and God has locked him up. In fact, if you want to understand who Mashiach ben Yosef potentially really is, okay, it says a Pasuk, Yishayohu, Nun Beis, 52, at the end, Hine Yaskal Avdi, behold, my servant will grow wise. Right? This is when the Mashiach ben Yosef is untangled, rather, becomes free from his suffering. <clears throat> and then it says three expressions of growth. V'yorim, v'nisa, v'gova mi'oid. So the Medrash asks, why does it have three expressions of growth by this Mashiach ben Yosef? And by the way, the Targum says, who is this Avdi? Who is, behold, my servant will grow wise? Who is this? So the Targum says, Malka Mashiach, the Melech Mashiach, the Mashiach, obviously, ben Yosef. Okay, who's being released from his terrible prison. 
figurative prison. Uh, so the Mandarin says the first expression of growth when he's released is he will be greater than Avramovino. To imagine somebody walking around that's greater than Avramovino, which we don't even understand. The next expression of growth is Veniso, right? Which means he will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. You can't even look at Moshe. He had to wear a mask. That's how great he was. That's how holy he was. So the Mashiach ben Yosef will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Then it says, Vigova Mioid. Who's that? If he's already greater than Avram Avinu, and he's greater than who? Moshe Rabbeinu. Who's left? And the answer is, there is no human left. He will be greater than the angels. That is the last expression. You're looking at a human being that is greater than Avram Avinu, greater than Moshe Rabbeinu, and he's greater than the Malachim, of, we, of which we have absolutely no concept of who they are and what their stature is. So imagine he's going to be here. So could you imagine what kind of suffering he will have? And we know what the suffering is now through the Akedah. Now that the, we see what happened with Avraham Avinu by the Akedah, that God appeared to him, right, as completely irrational, then what happens is a person that is gifted with such incredible spirituality like the Mashiach ben Yosef, he will suffer in the sense that God will appear to him, you know, or behave toward him, I should say, completely irrational, where his spirituality is so entangled, is so limited, so restricted, that he goes crazy, can't understand what is going on. We're not looking here, basically, at a normal situation where a person can suffer. We are looking at suffering that this person, this being of Mashiach Ben Yosef, goes through that is beyond imagination, that actually puts the Rabbanishim in a position of appearing irrationally right. So we only begin to think about what that could be specifically. But in any case, why? Because he has to accept the kapora of Klai Yisrael. You see, so the Akedah actually tells us the suffering, you see, <coughs> of the Mashiach ben Yosef, you see. And that's what happens. That's the whole concept, really, of the Akedah. So therefore, the Rav in the end, what saved the Jewish people? Well, the Mashiach ben Yosef suffers with the Rav appearing irrational, and that's for in lieu of the Jewish people, right? So that demonstrates the loyalty of the Mashiach ben Yosef, even though he has no idea what's going on, and the whole thing looks insane, right? And the same idea is the Jewish people, because he's substituting for them. So in the end, what do we see? that the concept of God appearing irrationally to the Jewish people is a must, that even if they violate the Torah, they will be saved, because God now has the answer to the Sutton, right, in terms of justice. That's why I cannot abandon the, the Jewish people. They will not abandon me, even though I appear to them irrationally. How in all justice can I abandon them? Because I operate on midah connected midah, measure for measure, you see. And therefore they will be saved. Every Jew ultimately will inherit the world to come. You know, obviously there's a difference in the level of Oilam Haba, the future world that you have, obviously. That's based on what you do, obviously. But the fact that you're in the future world that will happen because of the incredible loyalty, ultimately, that the Jews have had for thousands of years. I mean, just look at the history of the Jews. The Jews are the most persecuted nation on earth. Throughout their history, they've been butchered and slaughtered by the Greeks, right? Uh, and you, in Hanukkah, then you talk about, you know, you talk about Persia on the Ahasuerus. You talk about Babylon on the Nebuchadnezzar. Then you talk about Rome, destroyed the Besamikdash, killed millions of Jews. And then you talk about Christianity, that killed millions of Jews. You see, 
Then you talk about the Middle East. You talk about Iraq. I, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, and Iran, and so many nations that persecuted the Jews, right? And in the end, they gave it up. The Crusades killed who knows how many, hundreds of thousands of Jews. But the Jews, how many of them were willing to go to the slaughter, not to violate, right? Their belief in God. So it's not just this generation, because we are basically all incarnations anyway. We are Gilgulam. You see, we have lived many times. And in these different lifetimes, of course, everybody has sacrificed himself in one way or the other, whether he lived at the time of the Crusades, right? Or he lived at the time of the Holocaust, whatever. So all that loyalty that the Jews demonstrated through the, the 4,000 years of Jewish history is what gets all the Jews in Olam Haba. So we now understand what the Akedah is. That the Akedah is the ticket, so to speak, to Olam Haba for the Jewish people. And that's why it was the last. Because the time that God will appear irrational, when? Right before Mashiach. That is the greatest time of irrationality that God will appear at the end of time. And we can take a look that the world is absolutely insane. Not only do they violate the norms, but they violate the rules of civilization. You see, where is God? That's the appearance of God. So we must remain loyal. You see, and I will tell you something very important. Okay? When Moshe Rabbeinu, when the Jews sinned at the golden calf, right? You notice what Moshe Rabbeinu said? when he came down the mountain and smashed the tablets, he said, Mila Shem, who is to God? A lie. Come to me. Why didn't Moshe say, who didn't sin? With the Cheto Egel, the golden calf, come to me. Right? He didn't say that. He said, who is to God? Come to me. Because the supreme test, even if you sin, who is to God? Who is loyal to God? Come to me. Even if you sinned at the golden calf, if you still believe in God and you still want Him, you still love Him, then come to me. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu said, Mil Hashem, come to me. You see? Who is to God? Come to God, right? Uh, then you will be able to survive even with a sin like the golden calf. That's where you see the incredible significance of royalty. And you see it also in Devarim, by the Novi Sheker, where God says, if there arise amongst you a prophet, right, who is false, and he says, I will perform miracles for you, right, miracles for you, and he does, and the miracles come to pass, and let us worship other gods. So God says, even though I, right, God says, I am testing you, why? How in the world can a false prophet perform a real miracle? Because God did it for him. That's irrational. How could God do a miracle for a false prophet? And God says why. I have allowed the miracle to happen. To do what? To test you. What's the test? Not to see if you're going to do the mitzvahs. But he says, Do you still love me? God says that in Dvormit, Pashas Re'eh. Do you believe this? The meaning of the test says, God says, even though I appear rational, because I am doing the miracle for him to convince you. I want to see. Do you still love me or not? In other words, do you remain loyal to me or not? There you are. That's the ultimate test that God wants the Jews to pass. You need to, re- uh, to remain loyal to the Rabbanishlam. Very, very important concept. Because that, in the end, is what can save you, all of us, all the Jewish people, you see. And we see that from these two ideas. And I will finish with this. There's a very great Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael Mirizhin, who said the following, that in the end of time, the test of the Jewish people, if you remember Eliyahu, he said, I want to convince the Jews that God is the real God. So what he did is he challenged the priests of Baal, Baal worship, 
okay, you prepare a sacrifice and I will, right? And it's a clear day, right? Whoever lightning comes down out of a clear sky, right, and eats up the sacrifice, that is God. So Eliyahu Novi said in Harakamel, you go first, right? And by the way, you can visit that site in Haifa at Harakamel. So the priests of Baal, right, they put a bull up there, and they're screaming, please, you know, Baal, do it, and so on, right? Nothing happens. Finally, toward Mincha, right, Elio says, okay, now it's my turn, right? Puts up the bull, and all of a sudden, out of a clear sky, a lightning bolt comes right out of the sky, right, and destroys the, the Mizbeach, the altar, eats up the Corban, right? And everybody says, Hashem Uolokim, God is, because it was incredible. So the original Rebbe says the following, that in the end of time, right, that lightning bolt will not come down on the sacrifice, the offering of Elio. He's going to come down on the sacrifice of who? Of the priests of Baal. Wait a minute. That's incredible. How could that be? You see, that means God is appearing irrational. How can God allow a miracle like a lightning bolt coming out of a blue sky, right, to eat, right, to destroy, right, the, the uh, sacrifice of Baal? What is God doing? Aiding and abetting of Zorah? So the original Rebbe says that's exactly the test at the end of time. What do we see? That at the end of time, the test is the equivalent of what happened by Elio Novi, right? where the lightning comes down on the priest of Baal, not on the Corban of Elio. But that's irrational. You see? So the reason the Rebbe is saying, guess what? God is going to appear to the Jewish people, right, at the end of time, completely irrational. Right. Why? Because of what I've explained. Because God needs to answer with justice the Satan and the nations of the world that demand to know, according to justice, why God, God does not abandon the Jews, you see? So in order to really test the Jews of their loyalty, he has to appear rational, and still they don't abandon God, you see? What do we see from all this? Why it appears that God has deserted, abandoned his world, right, to evildoers, dictators, right? Crazy people, you know, people who make other people suffer terribly. Why? Because he needs the loyalty of the Jews. And in the end, that's going to save the Jews for the thousands of years that the Jews have not abandoned God, right? In previous incarnations and now and so on. So this is really what is going on in terms of the meaning of this insane world at the end of time. Any questions? I have a question. Yes. Okay. Okay, Rabbi. So Yes. Thank you for this year. Really, really amazing. I'm I'm thinking this. So we say the Akeda, we have such a beautiful Theodore that Right. Just praises such gratitude yes. and yes. love. The Tefillos have so much love for Hashem. They're just beautiful. That's and then it. all of a sudden you have right. all these parents that read it. And I've heard this over the years. So many people are like, oh, I won't say that. I cannot say that. And it's almost like, so how do we, what does that mean that Hashem, like when they put that into our Siddur, what are we trying to accomplish when so many people hate that it's in there? Well, a lot of these people, I think, that don't want to say the arcade in the morning is because, you know, they're liberals. You know, they don't want to say, I can't believe that God wants to take a human life and put Avroma Venus through this. This is irrational. So they don't want to say it because they are liberals. It's incredible. But the reason why Chazal put that is exactly to express your loyalty. You read the Akedah, right? 
and you express your loyalty. You see? Because if you're saying it in prayer, that means you, you, know, you understand that from, and maybe you would have done it yourself. You see? That's why it's part of the tefillah. You see? And it's also, to, you know, when you pray, in that sense, not that God needs to be reminded, but you're saying to God, please remember what Avraham Avinu did. And please remember our loyalty to you. You know, that we have never abandoned you. Never. You know? And even if a Jew seems to have abandoned God, look what he does. You know, even a small, we don't realize, a small action of a Jew that recognizes God even if a person says, you know, I don't do any mitzvahs, but I believe in the mission of the Jews, or I believe in Jewish history, you see? That itself is a tremendous, uh, significant uh, uh, statement that God values, because it means that he's not abandoning God, you see? And Jews do that, you know, throughout history. They've always stuck with God, and how many times did they allow themselves to be killed? for the sake of God, not to give up, you know, the belief in God himself, and so on. So that's why we say the Akedah, you know, for that reason. Exactly. Maybe it, it also is preparing people to know that Hashem is irrational. Sometimes right. that's how he manifests himself. Right, yeah. Right. So how long does this irrationality have to last for? Because that's, I mean, a, that's a very good question. For more than two thousand years, and as a nation, we definitely dealt, dealt with more than you know we would expect of a rationality. You think you know what you're saying? You think it would be sufficient? Correct. Yes. Our problem is we never really know, only until the end, the extent of sin of the Jew. Only God knows how much sin has to be atoned for. We don't. We don't really know. It's a very important concept, you see. So therefore, we can't judge. We don't know. In the end of time, we will know. When the Mashiach comes, he's going to reveal exactly why it happened, where it happened, and when it happened, and why God, God has to continuously, oh, in many, not, not continuously, I should say, but in many ways, appear irrationally. Because he's, he needs, cause the central idea is this, that the Russian must act with justice. That's why he created the world, you see. And the Sutton has the right to demand to know where is the justice of God, right? By loving the Jews, protecting them, and giving them the future world. So God needs that. So when, every time the Jews sin, you see, there's always that kitruk that the Sultan says, wait a minute, these people are sinning, so what, what, get rid of them already, you know. Uh, so in that sense, since Jews are sinning so many times, and God knows what their sins are, he needs this constant justification that Jews are really loyal, except for whatever reason, they're either distracted or they are influenced by the Goyim, they are in, influenced by the, the culture of the world, you see. But they themselves, if not for the fact that the world tries to uh, distract them and cause them to sin, they wouldn't do this, you see. So he knows how much justice he needs to counteract the claim of the Sultan and the nations of the world. We will know that also. But the essential idea is we do not know the level of sin throughout thousands of years of what the Jews have done. Not only that, we do not know how many, and we do not know the level, because some sins are clearly worse than others. Only God knows that now. But all this will be revealed in the future, where every second that God has to appear rational will be justified. You see, every second of that. The main idea is that this is what, in the end, saves the Jews. That even if the Jews don't have sufficient merit, right, for the future world, their loyalty through the thousands of years of Jewish history, the end, what does it? You see? That's a very important idea. 
So when you said, um, like Hashem says, do you love me or not? Do you still love me or not? So how can we, what should we do? Can we, should we be doing anything else? We do all the avodah. Well, I once said, I once said, you know, somebody, you know, I once said by, I think it was the Shia and Yom Kippur, you know, what should we do? And what I said, don't abandon the team, you know. But what's important on Yom Kippur is not just to do tshuva on the different sins that you've done. The critical thing, because we all sin, the critical thing you want to say to God is, I'm still in the team. I'm still on your side. Mil Hashem Eli. Who is to God? Come to me. Right? No matter what. That's the loyalty that we have to always express to God. And that will save us. You see? Just like that's the essential message that we want to give to God on Yom Kippur. Yeah. 